Hello, Utah, and welcome to the Fireside Chats with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. My name is Dion Saxby, and I am the Events and Outreach Director here at UCCD. We hope that these conversations will light a fire in you to also make the global and local impact. Today we have Nina Reyes, social work therapist and is a member of the Laguno Pueblo Northern Utah Indian Tribe and has 30 years experience in the dance community. He also is a Native American veteran, a powwow dancer, flute player, and presenter of Native American culture. And to dive right in, I just want to hear a little bit about yourself and what positions you hold here in Utah. Well, as mentioned, my name is Nina Reyes. I'm a member of two Native tribes, as mentioned. I was born amongst the Ute people in northeastern Utah uh, from my mother's side. I spent uh, the majority of my adolescent life uh, amongst the Ute people, elementary, junior high. And then I got to a Native American uh, boarding school, uh, both in uh, Phoenix, Arizona as a ninth grader, and then also uh, came back to the reservation for my uh, sophomore year and for my junior and senior year, I had gone to a boarding school in um, Riverside, California, where I graduated from. I uh, returned uh, home for about a year, worked in the oil, oil field. And then after about a year, I was uh, I, I joined the military and uh, four years in the military. And then it took me about a, um, a year after the military to decide what I wanted to do. Uh, so I uh, enrolled at the University of Utah, where um, I received both my degrees, the undergraduate and uh, master's degree in social work. Then after that, I, t- I went to work for a couple of nonprofits locally, and uh, the first eight years or so working with adolescents, and then I switched over to um, the adult population working in methadone treatment. And so I was working for a couple of different programs, you know, uh, for about 20 years total. And uh, then um, uh, worked for a Native American organization here in Salt Lake City. And now uh, to my current job at a place called Sacred Circle, where I'm a therapist and um, cultural specialist. So what led you down the line of work in therapy? Well, when I was in college, uh, what you had to do is take a lot of, you had to take core classes to kind of give you a balance of, of different uh, disciplines. And so about that, I wanted to be a architect at first. And then maybe about the second year of undergraduate, I wrote my first paper and uh, it was about the uh, alcohol use in Ireland. And how it, uh, and so how, how young the, the children are able to go into different pubs and things like that. And then about, not too much longer after that, I did my second paper. And the second paper was about the alcohol rate of uh, Alaska Natives. And I believe those are the kind of like starting to be kind of down that path of, of uh, this field of sense abuse uh, area. Um, come from a large family and uh, not only uh, experienced myself of substance abuse, uh, but also other family members, relatives, community members. And uh, um, 
I switched, uh, well, I, I actually kind of been sober uh, for 35 years now. Um, and uh, it's uh, because of uh, the choices I've making with time, you know, you know, began to think that this might be the best path and that I could be the most helpful in. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like what driven me into that area. I thought that might be the, um, to where um, I've been there and done that. So I felt that that might be the most helpful uh, being able to, to work in a field that I've had some experience, not only book experience, but also personal experience. That's a great story. Um, what resources do you think would be helpful for individuals working through recovery on the reservations here in Utah specifically? Well, it's a lot of, uh, um, I guess it's pretty complex to be honest, mm-hmm. because the reservations are in rural and uh, there's not so many uh, funding or buildings or staff to be able to provide certain things. But the, And even there's a... Um, you know, even there's that stigma too. If uh, uh, different people are, um, you know, have or want to get help, then sometimes if they know there's a building there, sometimes it's kind of a, you know, other people might see them going into that uh, office or, you know, for treatment and things like this, so they might get stigmatized in their own way. Uh, so I think the idea is that um, when we talk about resources, it's um, there's a need in a lot of different communities. And so uh, if there's ways to be able to identify uh, these uh, different populations and areas where you can provide uh, the, the amount of resources, which means buildings, which means staff, which means a lot of different areas that could be helpful to them. Now, um, depending on um, the different uh, area, that we're talking about reservations, but, you know, the idea is to be able to, um, uh, if we're going to be successful, uh, to then be able to find staff and clinicians who are also within that same culture to be able to understand these uh, clients and other people who come in to seek those services. So, uh, so it's a pretty... Um, uh, a tough subject because you know it's always uh, it's really unfortunate that we have this uh, the, the problems that we do have in that area but uh, there are certain um, different uh, places in a, in a rural area uh, very few but there's also some in the uh, urban setting as well that has uh, different uh, programs for Native Americans who who may seek those services. How do you feel about land recognition? And do you think we as a community of Utah do enough? Well, a long time ago, uh, what happened is that uh, prior to the er- uh, arrival of the early pioneers and the people, uh, we didn't o- occupy, well, we didn't own the land, but yet we uh, were in agreement to where we were able to, to live off the land and and that uh, we would take care of the land and that land would take care of us. And what eventually would happen with the early pioneers begin to uh, arrive into this area, then it would only be natural to where there would be conflict uh, for those who did stay. And, and what happened is over time, there was different uh, laws and treaties uh, that was established. And oftentimes the natives didn't understand the English uh, or even treaties to where then many times they were forced on lands that was, uh, at that time, that wasn't uh, 
you know, the government didn't really feel need of necessarily. You know, it was only till later on to where um, uh, there was certain these certain lands occupied uh, or had some natural resource. Perhaps it was like the water, the mm-hmm. timber, the uh, the the resources un- un- inside the earth. You know, the you know the, the different uh, things like that to where uh, the oil and the gas to where. Um, you know, it was when you know, certain tribes was, uh, are placed on these reservations who may be fortunate enough to have uh, be all, uh, placed on these lands that have those to where they're able to benefit. But a lot of times, uh, a lot of the tribes were put in desolate uh, areas that uh, really the government at the time didn't really have any use to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, so natural resources, it's very kind of the, over time, the, uh, the, um, uh, treaty making period, and it was really kind of relinquished. Uh, many of the tribes relinquished millions of acres of land, uh, for certain guaranteed rights, uh, to then be placed on these reservations, the rights that were for protection and being able to be, uh, called sovereign nations. And, and, uh, and so, uh, uh, over time, it was just kind of uh, many, as I keep referring to treaties, that there was additional treaties and other treaties and other laws that kind of still um, prevented Native people to try to be, you know, uh, uh, who they are, the citizens. And even though we lived off this land for, you know, for centuries, uh, that uh, we weren't considered, even though we fought in wars prior to, you know, uh, um, World War One, and prior to that, you know, we fought in different wars, but we were considered citizens, you know, until after World War One in nineteen twenty-five, and so it's pretty interesting about different things of history and uh, um, that uh, Native people are still overcoming uh, and still, but we're just still striving, thriving too, mm-hmm. and so which is the good part. Yeah. So, do you think that? Having those treaties was beneficial for your community in any kind of way, or do you think it was more America specifically putting limitations on where you were? Yeah, there was a lot of limitations. Uh, there was a number of different treaties, and for I understand, every, almost every one of them were broken. They went; uh, they were promised different things, and and, and so the idea is that. Uh, it, these treaties were, you know, limited Native people from being, you know, living off these particular lands, or, or and, and uh, so anytime um, seemed like, uh, you know, the government wanted more land, they would provide them with more treaties and things like this. So it was uh, a lot of these treaties would the, the restrict the Native people of being who they are. You know, it's treaties to you know, limit their spirituality, treaties to. Kind of, if they didn't farm the land and things like this, then the government would take their land. It just, it just a variety of different, and not only trees, but just laws that also uh, was different than trees, but laws that prevented you know native people from being who they are, strong people. Um, there was just laws of, like as I mentioned, in boarding school, you know, in the early boarding school era, that uh, you know the the government attempted to really. Um, you know, change the adults, but yet the adults were strong people themselves. So they, you know, and then you know, enacted the uh, the boarding schools to then 
change the mindsets of these young children to then kind of, uh, you know, hopefully impact them so that they wouldn't go back after school to the reservation and continue learning the traditions, but yet then perhaps move into, you know, the, the cities and then eventually marry into the Mountain Indians. And there was even laws to where if, uh, you know, the women went to marry into, uh, you know, the non-Indian, the Anglo-Saxon, Anglo, uh, the, the culture that um, they would uh, then be able to, um, you know, vote, as I mentioned, to, and be citizens, you know, remember, you know, 1925 is when we're considered, you know, citizens, but even before that, for those women who chose to be able to marry outside of a native, you know, then they could then technically be, uh, there's different laws that was allowed them to then become citizens and, and a variety of different uh, laws that restricted the native people. Uh, so the law, the, the land, um, prior to uh, uh, being relocated in different areas, uh, different uh, tribes would have uh, different times. Maybe have their winter camps or summer camps. They, they were very aware not to overuse the lands. They would they had special places to um, have their spiritual uh, uh, beliefs and their practices of their ceremonies. And, and even the government at different times thought these ceremonies were so strong that they even made laws to prohibit these tribes to, to practice them. So uh, when these tribes were placed on these reservations, those certain uh, areas that was very spiritual places uh, uh, for their ceremonies was been interrupted, but yet they adapted enough to where they would still conduct them and, and, and be as strong as, uh, you know, as they are today. Taking a deeper dive into Native culture, um, specifically in dance, with your 30 years experience, can you just tell us a little bit about um, the traditional dances and what you do here in Utah? Well, the dances that we're, what we're talking about here today is come from the Pow. The Pow was a, a celebration, a gathering of people who come together uh, to uh, renew friendships, to make friends, uh, to eat our native foods, to enjoy life, and to continue on uh, uh, through song and dance uh, of, of the Pow, for instance. There are certain dances or songs that are not part of the Pow that are really specific for certain tribes. And those are, you know, held in a very sacred way. That, you know, some of them are, you know, to where even, you know, Indians can't participate or even observe or even people from other tribes can't even observe because they want to hold that in a sacred way. But the powwow is a gathering of people who come together. Uh, there's different categories and men and different categories of women. Uh, the dance category that uh, I started doing was the men's traditional dance, which they um, uh, would have the bustles comprised of the eagle feathers, and the eagle feathers are very sacred to us. Uh, the story of uh, the traditional dance, and what they call uh, storytellers, and usually uh, uh, people who are in that category would be uh, veterans of the military armed forces. And so it'd be basically uh, coming out and telling a story. There's different types of songs and dances that which they do. And um, they say that um, we don't learn from books, but yet we learn from perhaps as being in the womb of the mother, you know, and we feel the heartbeat at the powwow. And when we come into this world that we would then 
uh, when they get old enough to then come out on their own, you know, and we feel that beat, you know, they would come out and dance on their own. It is at times when I've been told to where they would, uh, family and relatives would get together to, uh, to uh, gather items for a, uh, a giveaway to initiate that person to come out into the dance circle. So the category dance that I do is um, uh, the men's traditional. Um, there's many stories of the power in none of them. They'll even say that as long as, you know, when we're young, when we're healthy, mm-hmm. when we're uh, uh, able to still get out there and move that we should continue the dance. Um, because as we get older, we may be restricted in different ways. Our elders are now off to the side, you know, proud that the younger people are still carrying on the dance. Um, so we, we come out to dance uh, because of, um, for good health, mental strength, um, to um, uh, carry on the tradition and uh, uh, and so uh, to, because sometimes people may be going through some hard times and so they kind of talk about, you know, you come out and dance for those people uh, who are unable to dance and uh, to hopefully uplift them. To their What's life. the most important lesson you've learned over your career? Well, uh, yeah. some time ago, I remember I was working with, you know, methadone treatment, you know, for in two different programs, you know, for over 20 years. And even now, I still work in, you know, people who have an opioid addiction. And um, I remember some time ago when I was working with, you know, those in the methadone area that, um, you know, they're really falling hard times. They're really coming into treatment. They're withdrawing from the drugs. They're sick and really, you know, down and out, perhaps hopeless and just a variety of different uh, levels of hardships. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I told different people about myself being in that field, they would, you know, from time to time get comments about, so, oh, man, it's a hard population. And they said, yeah, it is. But these people are human as well. Yeah. And so the idea is knowing that, um, you know, through time, you know, I still stayed in this, you know, this field of, of that, you knowing that for people who come in to treatment in different areas, um, sometimes they're ordered by court, other times they're coming in on their own. But the idea for, let's say, for instance, those who are coming in on, on their own, they have reached a, a point in their life that they're wanting to make a difference of, of those choices that they made. So they're making now an effort to try to, to kind of find ways to be able to avoid some of these negative choices that they're making. So I think the idea is knowing that I, um, you know, satisfaction is knowing that I'm able to, to help some of these people who are really wanting to, to, to make a difference. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, because they are coming back, you know, in treatment that they feel that they have found some value in that therapy session. So I think that's kind of one of the satisfaction I really, you know, I have known that it made you know, a difference, a positive difference in some of these, you know, people's lives. Yeah. So you have the amazing opportunity to attend the World Expo 2021. Um, for over 170 years, this World Expo has provided platforms to showcase the greatest innovations that have shaped the world we live in today. What are you most excited about and what can we look forward to seeing? Um, most excited about um, 
I, I've been able to go overseas a couple of times, you know, and then some of these, uh, you know, dancers that I'm taking, um, they've never gone overseas. I've heard of the why. I've uh, been doing some research about the why. And some of the dancers also have been doing some research about that. So they're, you know, as we get closer to this date of travel, then we're getting really excited about that, mm-hmm. of seeing what we've read and seeing, you know, on video about, you know, what it looks like in real life. Um, but um, I think the, the idea is to be able to really, uh, you know, excited about having an opportunity to showcase um the Native American uh, dance and song, and uh, to to the world uh, visitors, um, not only representing you know, the Native, but also Utah as well as the indigenous you know, people of Utah, and to to really uh, share to the world that um, that we're still a proud people with rich in uh, culture and ways of life, and uh, I think the excitement is shared with not only myself but the dancers as well being able to, to provide uh, this opportunity to be able to express ourselves mm-hmm. through that dance and song to, to the different performances in which we're, we're scheduled to do. Yeah. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would you want it to be? Well, I'm thinking uh, that's one thing, but, uh, you know, one, it's, geez, I would hope a lot of things, but, you know, <laughs> a lot of positive things. But I guess if we narrow it down, it's one of the things that uh, that I was gifted to, uh, to be able to play was that of the Native American food. I've been able to uh, um, share that, and I've been playing for almost 27 years or so, and be able to travel different places and just also... You know, entertain at different levels of different organizations and, and, and festivals and things like this. And so I think what I'd like to be mem- memorized, a memorial uh, in, to, um, of that, the Native American music, you know, because it has its place uh, in one's life, you know, to calm people down. It's not upbeat dancing music, but it kind of gives uh, the listener an opportunity to kind of listen and then calm herself down and, and just uh, we just take a breath, and you know, because sometimes our life kind of gets us, you know, in different uh, uh, paths and different stressful situations. So I'm hoping that uh, I guess to be um, you know, be remembered of as uh, you know someone who could provide some a musical you know way of of calming and you know relaxing. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts for us? Well, uh, I just really would like to appreciate, uh, say thank you very much for this opportunity to be able to come share a few words and some time with you. You know, I just hope that uh, what I share today would be, um, you know, insightful to your listeners. And and uh, I, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to be able to come here today and uh, really kind of uh, uh, just express myself a little, a little of my story, you know, and, uh, you know, just want to say thank you very much for this opportunity. And uh, it's been, you know, a, a joy being able to come share this time with you. Yes, well, you're welcome here anytime. And I want to thank you for sharing your experiences and your stories um, and reliving some of that trauma um, here with us today. So we really appreciate it. And we're honored to be um, in your presence. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This podcast was brought to you 
by Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. Thank you for listening. As your host, Dion Saxby, it is a pleasure and we hope to see you at the next Fireside Chat.